0: Welcome to the Feminine Podcast, the official podcast of Feminine, talking about everything in between, a little bit of Fem, a little bit of EM. This is Risa E. Lewis, host for the Feminine Podcast. I'm joined today by two special guests. Guest number one, how would you like to identify yourself?
1: I often identify
0: as Allison J. McGregor. Dr. Allison J. McGregor is joining us today. Guest number two, would you like to introduce yourself?
2: Hi, my name is Tracy Madsen.
0: Tracy Madsen is our guest number two. So, audience, today we're talking about sex. That was a purpose pause. Sex matters. Yes, sex does matter, but also sex matters. Uh, I'm going to start by asking each guest, guest number one, Alison J. McGregor, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I was born and
1: raised in Rhode Island, uh, just like Risa E. Lewis. And um, I work at Brown University, and I'm the director for the Division of Sex and Gender in Emergency
2: Medicine.
0: Guest number two, Tracy Madsen. Tell
2: us about yourself. I'm also faculty at Brown University in the Department of Emergency Medicine. I did my training at Brown, stayed on in a fellowship position in the Division of Sex and Gender, which was amazing. Um, And now I'm studying stroke, sex and gender differences in stroke in in the department. So audience, there are a lot of reasons
0: to bring these two onto the podcast, but I want to raise awareness uh, about sex and gender in health and exactly what it is, because I think there's a lot of confusion. So this is sort of to, to both of you. Can you clarify for us what is that, What actually is sex and gender, sex and gender health, sex and gender medicine? What does the division focus on?
1: So the division focuses on two variables that affect and impact health. The first being sex, and when we say sex, we mean the biological variables. So your chromosomal makeup, whether you're XX versus XY, and how that affects your heart and your lungs and your cells all in an emergency uh, setting. The other thing that we um, are challenged to uh, bring understanding to is gender. So how someone presents themselves in society, whether they describe themselves as a male or a female or any combination of the two and um, the effects that that has on health and illness and access to health care.
0: So is this just all women's health? Is that what this is?
1: So traditionally, women's health has been assumed to just encompass reproductive health. So breast health and gynecologic health and obstetric health. But now we realize that the health of women matter in more than those, just those ways. And those differences are very crucial to their susceptibility to disease and the response to treatments and medication dosing. And it matters in many ways. Yeah, so this is not just about uterus and ovaries and breasts. It's the the classic term is uh, boobs and tubes, and that's what this is not anymore. This is not. And this is, is or is not LGBTQ health? Well, that's an interesting um, uh, question because many people uh, uh, see that relationship. And what sex and gender... Uh, the study of it actually helps inform how to care for LGBTQ community. So you're able to understand what the influence of sex is on a condition, and then what the um, influence of gender is on that. And then you can personalize that for
0: um, people that may not have congruence in those in those factors. Fantastic. So that's a nice global uh, presentation of the definition and sort of the uh, connotation denotation of what is sex and gender so if we were to get more granular and we shed the the light turn the mic on to Tracy Tracy is actually doing exactly what you've just described she's specifically looking at stroke Tracy can you share with us how you got into sex and gender health
2: why did you do a fellowship and how did you come to stroke as your focus sure so I've always had really a passion for thinking about women's health and how to take care of women and what the needs of women are, um, all the way from the time that I was in high school and college and in those really formative years um, and had a lot of strong influence from strong female role models in my life. When I went into medicine, I wasn't sure what I wanted to go into, um, but quickly learned that I loved emergency medicine. I loved seeing all different kinds of diagnoses and patients and well people and sick people and I really just loved emergency medicine but I wasn't sure how that would fit into my um, my interest in women's health. Um, so for example I used to volunteer in domestic violence shelters and that's more of like the traditional women's health definition and then when I started looking into emergency medicine and looking into residencies um, I was really kind of conflicted about how those two um, ideas would fit together and so when I interviewed at Brown for residency I um, mean, I still remember that day very clearly just feeling so excited hearing that there was actually a division of sex and gender and that there were faculty, namely Dr. McGregor, um, studying sex and gender, and I felt like this was the perfect intersection of women's health and emergency medicine, and that's really how it started.
0: And so you nailed exactly one of the reasons why I want to highlight the work that you two are doing, that this isn't what people think of as, oh, and... Domestic violence. Oh, the uterus, the ovaries, the breasts, or boobs and tubes, as you say. There's more, much more um, rigor and there's much more breadth and depth to this topic. Now, Allison, you have done quite a bit of work. You have formed a division, you have formed a fellowship, you have a resident elective, you have a student elective, you're in the med school. There's a lot of aspects that you've done to make this quite an academic discipline, uh, an area of study. How did you come to this and what made you decide to pursue this as opposed to toxicology or hyperbarics or pediatric emergency medicine?
1: I discovered sex and gender similar to actually what Tracy just mentioned. My, um, love of caring for women and, and just being part of as many women groups as I could join, and and um, was thinking about how I could turn that into something related to emergency medicine. And I came across a book by Marion Legato, and she um, uh, was the first one to publish a book called Principles of Gender-Specific Medicine. And when I came across that book, I, I just a light bulb went off, and I thought, Wow, you know, um, if we know that these differences uh, already exist between men and women, what else don't we know? And um, and so I just actively began to pursue that, and I went to SAEM very early on. I was just a year out of uh, residency, and uh, to put on a didactic on on uh, you know gender medicine and emergency medicine. And it was really eye opening when I discovered that no one showed up. <laughs> no one came. Um, there was uh, uh, Libby Nestor, who's my friend, and she was sitting there. So I thought this is something that um, needs to be built from the ground up. So it really just uh, energized me and motivated me to start to build something at Brown where I was working. Um, And so that's where I started small with a small program. Um, uh, Dr. Esther Chu and I um, uh, co-founded this uh, concept and we uh, were able to make division status because of all the educational programs and the research programs. And so now I have this um, opportunity to work with so many people across the country nationally that are doing amazing things in this field and uh, collaborate with them and then sort of bring that knowledge back to emergency medicine as a whole.
0: Are there any other institutions, uh, hospitals, departments of emergency medicine or maybe not emergency medicine where there are similar divisions? Not
1: to this degree. Not um, uh, many pro- programs have some emphasis on uh, women's health. Not necessarily in emergency medicine, actually, if you think about it, but mostly in internal medicine. There's um, uh, uh, ways that you can focus on that area, but um, but I think it's it's coming. It's you know I, um, the ultimate goal would be really that it's not necessary. Um, because uh, you know, when you're looking at toxicology, when you're looking at ultrasound, when you're looking at EMS, you're already assuming that men and women are different, and that's integrated. That's the that's the future goal. But right now, um, many people are uh, interested, and uh, med students and residents are now being taught this. So I think a lot of the departments across the country in emergency medicine will need to come up with some way to uh, address this knowledge gap.
0: Yeah. Outside the United States, you know, we look at other countries that seem to have it better than we have it in terms of gender equity, family leave, salary. Outside of the United States, are there academic divisions of sex and gender health, sex and gender medicine uh, countries that we should be aware of that really have it have it right.
1: Yeah, there's um, the International Gender Medicine uh, Group that uh, gets together uh, yearly, and um, we really learn what 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 other people are happening. And some people are much further along than than we are. Canada is doing great things with their um, Canadian Institute for Health Research and supporting research that looks at sex differences. There's the Karolinska Institute which has a whole and educational yes, yeah. exactly. Which uh, has a whole yes. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're doing amazing things. So um, the crosstalk across you know the world is 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 happening and it's evolving.
0: One thing I'm seeing with the work we're doing in Times of Healthcare and in Feminem is we have places that uh, are less perfect and really are seeking help. Do you end up having maybe the countries that are starting to accept the importance of this reaching out to you for help in terms of building education, building research? Um, yeah, I think it's safe to say that we're
1: learning from each other. Um uh, I've was co-chair of two national summits that are looking at how to integrate these concepts into health education uh, programs and curricula, and we'll often have uh, um, other people from other countries attend as well. And we learn um, their barriers and solutions, and we share we share ours. And uh, so it's really it's um, I think over the next ten years you're going to see. Uh, a lot of changes um, to the way that we uh, educate healthcare providers
0: and the way that we research uh, human subjects. Yeah. Now, Tracy, if someone said to you, "Mm, I'm a man, why should I care about this? this? This doesn't affect me and this doesn't matter to me.
2: What are your thoughts? How would you respond to that sort of claim? Sure. So I think despite the fact that I'm very interested in women's health, this does not only affect women, this affects everybody. As Um, Allison mentioned it affects the LGBTQ community, but it affects cis men, cis women, trans men. It affects everybody because it's really about personalized care. The more we can learn about how sex as a variable affects health and how gender or gender identity affects health um, and then combine those two ideas or think about um, how each of those affects health and how we incorporate that into medical decision-making, into preventative strategies... Um, really across the board from prevention to outcomes. um, It affects men and women. So we're going to be, the more we learn, we will care for women better, but we will also care for men better.
0: Um, I think it's one of those, you can easily make the argument, like this is not about women. This is not about men. This is about patient care and taking the best care of patients, no matter who, what, where, when, why that patient is, the better. I often
1: refer to it as it's just a new quality measure. It's a new level of excellence. It's 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 how do we um, uh, make research uh, even more complex. We have to embrace the complexity of the menstrual cycle and the effect of hormones and the differences between men and women. So it's just the new, uh, it's, it's where we need
2: to be. It's the
0: pain scale of this 2019.
2: Uh, <laughs> it really is, this, and then it's a, it's, essential for personalized medicine which is where we are all headed yeah um if we don't know how sex and gender affect health then how can we personalize medicine um, beyond that
0: now i've been lucky enough to be educated a bit by you i'm by no means a subject matter expertise on this but i'm a believer and i uh attended the summit in in salt lake city and i believe the next summit is in 2020 uh anything you want to talk to at all about this or anything you can mention about what audience members that are now, their, their interest is peaked. Uh, what they may expect to see at the
1: next summit. So the next summit is actually going to be in your backyard. Uh, it's going to be held at Jefferson mm-hmm. and um, it's going to be September, uh, the weekend of uh, September uh, 9th and 10th of 2020. And, um, You know, each summit has grown almost, uh, you know, doubled in size, so I I expect the same thing to happen here. And it's um, now something that we incorporate other health professions, so not just medical um, education, but also allied health and nursing and dentistry. You know, just because uh, many educational schools for health professions are looking at interprofessional um, growth and, and collaboration, so... The more complex medicine gets, the more everybody needs to be aware of the differences between men and women.
0: And what I was impressed by at that summit is that you were trying to help people who mostly, uh, I met a lot of educators and curriculum developers, how they can start integrating this. This shouldn't be thought of as a burden. This should not be thought of as extra. This is like just should be woven in the, the clothing, the cloth, the matrix of what is being taught and how we're approaching patients. Now, I said that I've benefited a lot from what you two have taught me. We were speaking about specific disease processes that the audience may not be aware uh, that there actually is a difference in the way we've studied disease and uh, therefore how we think we're supposed to treat, what medicines we're supposed to use, the dosages of the medicines and our overall approach. So some that come to mind are stroke, heart attacks, sepsis, migraine headaches, um, fill in some blind spots. What what would be important for the audience to know? Tracy, You, I know stroke has been your thing. What can you share with us about stroke and also what other diseases that aren't even on people's radar should be?
2: So I would say overall, if you look across those disease states that you just mentioned, cardiac disease, stroke, um, sepsis, all of those disease states, the first thing to think about, and this is something I've been thinking a lot about on shift, is really just starting At the history that you take. When a patient comes in um, for a given chief complaint, you really have to even approach your history different for men and women, I think. Um, I think it's important to listen. You have to listen to what women are saying, to the stories that they're telling. Um, Often we'll come into the room with a suspected um, chest pain patient will say, do you have chest pain? No, I don't have any chest pain, and then move on. Um, but if you listen a little bit more, if you dig a little deeper, if you don't talk as much and maybe listen to the patient, um, I find that women will also will often say, no, I don't have pain, but I have, it feels uncomfortable, I feel some indigestion, something feels off, something pointing to their chest. So maybe, no, they don't have chest pain per se. Um, but if you really don't start all the way back at the history, um, t- when you're considering sex and gender differences, you'll miss a whole, you'll just miss the entire first part. I mean, I think that happens with stroke as well. We know that women with stroke, in addition to presenting with the traditional symptoms—the hemiplegia, um, the the vertigo, the sensory symptoms—they can also have um, what we, what I like to call non-traditional symptoms or symptoms that we maybe sometimes don't pay as much attention to. So, non-neurologic symptoms: feeling off, feeling tired, similar to what we see. Um, With cardiac disease, even more pain. So even uh, not just headache, but pain in other parts of the body, which is often distracting for someone taking a history that is expecting these classic signs and symptoms symptoms of stroke.
0: So uh, dovetailing is it felt that the NIH Stroke Scale is valid, or that
2: it you know did that take women into account? That's a great question, and I don't know the answer to that. Um, Certainly, there in the NIH Stroke Scale, we don't ask about headache, pain, um, really none of those. Um, non-traditional symptoms are on the NIH stroke scale, um, which is a great point. And that's how a lot of our um, clinical measures, clinical decision rules that women were not taking into account when they were created.
0: If you weren't spending time studying and receiving grants for stroke, is there another disease process that has really struck your interest in
2: uh, under the sex and gender hat? Sepsis, I think, is a super interesting topic to think about, and I started actually doing some sepsis work in residency, um, and now I'm more focused on stroke, but I think there are a lot of questions about sex and gender differences in sepsis to be answered. Um, We've found some treatment disparities in terms of who gets antibiotics faster, but even thinking back to the pathophysiology of sepsis, we know that there are biologic differences and how sepsis affects uh, males and females they really don't have a lot of the answers in terms of how that should translate into our practice in terms of diagnosing sepsis treating sepsis improving mortality for both men and women but there's a lot to answer there
1: but i also get a lot of people that from especially within emergent emergency medicine that say well That might be interesting, but um, what am I going to do on my shift that starts at three? And so... Great question. Yeah. And so um, there's a lot... Um, that you can consider like tracy was mentioning just in communication styles and um when you're looking at the blood work start to realize that there are separate reference ranges for laboratory values and biomarkers and like troponin. yes right exactly things like that and that's going to um more uh, just a, um, increase exponentially We're, you know we should be looking at cutoffs for d-dimer between men and women um and these sorts of things so there is a great um PubMed search tool that's been validated that maybe we can show at the, um,
0: the show notes. We can place it in the show notes. Show notes. love placing in the show notes. I'm getting
1: something in a show note. Yes. Um, and so what I do is I have the residents uh, use that PubMed search tool um, uh, for, for patients um, so they can say, okay, what are the differences between men and women in asthma, in uh, dosing of Zopran, or in um you know and you name cellulitis you, you name it um and and we look and we 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 can um discover and utilize that uh in in
0: uh the point of care Ooh, the point of care what is the difference in dosing of zofran i mean not exactly but what should we be aware of um women uh, metabolize zofran
1: at a slower rate. Huh. So it lasts many hours longer. And so um, that's a classic example of if you look at the evidence and you notice that these things exist, there still is not a dosing recommendation change for Zofran when they should. So, um, you know, I think um, the, um, other federal agencies are catching up to this and really want to respond um, and and so I think we'll be seeing more and more things like that. But right now, that it, it doesn't, exist. You know.
0: So continuing that storyline, then of Zofran, does that mean that women are more at risk of the side effect of prolonged QT if they're getting increasing doses? That it's, I mean, like, has that translated into anything we should be worried about with the Zofran? Um, I think that these are great questions that that aren't really studied. There
1: are many examples of um, certain drugs that um, um, prolong the QT longer for women than men Mm -hmm. and longer during certain times of the menstrual cycle. Um, So, you know, if that can happen with one medication, um, then you you can imagine what what could happen with many medications. Now, lots of the medications that we utilize um, have been... Uh, uh, tested, and um, the dosing ranges have been um, perfected in men. And so we're just we're we're playing this this guessing game, really. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I am often um, telling uh, female patients to make sure that they they discuss any adverse reactions
2: that they're having. Yeah, I would say the other area that comes to mind when I think about challenges and getting people to really understand the importance of sex and gender, um, is conducting research, so we know that historically women have been underrepresented, and even now that we have all this knowledge about sex and gender differences, I think there's still a push uh, there's still pushback um, in terms of including enough women doing sex specific analyses, and it's often a, a matter of of money um, that not enough women are enrolled to know whether or not there are sex specific um, treatment effects or sex specific outcomes, um, and I think it's um, it's easy to say, yes, you have to include sex in your study, but in order um, to do that, studies have to be funded to enroll enough people that we can see sex differences. And I still don't feel like we're at that point. I hear people say, oh, we don't really need to do that. We can, um, we can see if there's a trend and then maybe think about it later. But it's really not a primary um, point on people's minds when they're designing the studies that we need to translate down the road to practice.
0: They have not digested that sex matters. Exactly. Sex matters. sex matters. So, you know, for the audience members that are saying that's great, they're addressing men and women. What about intersectional questions? What about race? What about other factors that we know aren't the only factors playing a role in health, in research, in studying? Um, how, how is that being addressed right now in sex and gender medicine?
1: It's being addressed because if once we address uh, something like uh, gender, for instance, I sort of uh, look at gender in a similar way to studying race. So sex, being the biological component, um, is measurable and it's objective and and, and it's um, you know it, it starts as like to, instead of instead of um, men uh, being the person to study, and then women being a subgroup, I like to look at it as men and women, and then the subgroups we can look at are race, socioeconomic status, um, you know, uh, ethnicity, and things that engender, that, uh, uh, and things that further um, affect, affect their health. So I think it's, it's important to look at those um, And and, and in in the picture of the whole thing, when you um, look at the fact that women are less studied than men, then you look at uh, um, if you break that down even more, women of color are studied less than, um, um, you know, not women of color. So there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of work to be done to not only
0: enroll women, but to enroll uh, women of many races and cultures. Yeah, and I mean, this is, <clears throat> I think, falls under the realm of general women's health and what people think of, but it's particularly distressing to us as providers that, for instance, black women, ha- women have some of the highest rates of maternal mortality yes. in this country, right. and it's just completely unacceptable uh, in my mind, and it's sort of, um, I completely support research that's going to start addressing the inequities that we're seeing and we're experiencing every single day. Tracy, when you have a patient come in, going back to the history, and I really like what you said. I think that's important about listening. That was a pause on on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, You know, um, pronouns. How do you address, how do you ask, like make believe I'm a patient, make believe Allison's a patient. How do you ask people their
2: pronouns? So I think there are a lot of ways to do that. The most important thing, and this is what I teach students and residents when we have this conversation, is to ask in a way that you feel comfortable asking and that it comes out smoothly. And really, for the patient to feel comfortable um, talking to you about their pronouns, about their gender identity, you have to be comfortable asking about it.
0: Uh, Pause. Uh, I think some of our audience members may not even know where my question is coming from about pronouns and asking about pronouns. Can you give a little brief update to people about why... It is part of what we're uh, asking, and it's part of uh, quality pa- patient care
2: to bring in pronouns. Sure. So, um, as we've been talking about, sex and gender are two different things. There's certainly often overlap between the two, um, but sex is the biologic construct, where gender we think of as the social construct or the more cultural, cult- culturally defined concept. Um, and it's really important to understand how both sex and gender affect health. So in order to personalize someone's care, you need to understand and um, correctly identify both their biologic sex as well as their gender identity. Um, And so you can't make an an assumption um, that just because someone is a biologic female that they also identify as a woman. And so if you do that, you're really missing an opportunity um, to provide personalized care and to make them feel comfortable.
0: Thank you for doing that step back. Now going forward, so I'm um, going to be asking the pronoun questions, and you were saying it should sound natural, it should sound authentic, because I agree, if it's not
2: you, then people pick up on that. Um, how do you do it? What, what do you say? So one way that I like to say is what pronouns do you use? I try not to use the word preferred, although um, that's something that's been classically taught and that I learned, but I've um, I feel that that can sometimes um, come across as something that's a, as a preference or something that's a choice, as opposed to just what is someone's identity. What pronouns so, do you use? What pronouns do you use? How would you, you prefer use? that I that yeah. I address you? What should I call you? I mean, you can be pretty direct. Yeah. yeah. How do you how do you do it, Allison?
1: Similar. Yes, I'm very direct because it's 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 about. Um, caring for their whole self so um i, I don't f- uh, feel shy about it it's like talking to someone about their private things
0: <laughs> about the I'll, medications I'll,
1: they're I'll, on yeah I'll, I'll hold back on that example but um yeah so i just um i agree the more comfortable you are um the more comfortable they are so i just say um yeah
0: what what um how, how would you like to be referred yeah. So I'm going to start bringing our podcast discussion, Amazing Conversation, to a close. Before I do that, I want to say that, of course, there are landmark articles and there are a few book publications, but I heard that pretty soon on Amazon we'll be able to pre-order a very special book that's coming out. Tracy, have you heard about a special book coming out? I've heard something about it, but I I haven't (laughs) read it yet. Okay. Something about, like, sex, it matters, or sex matters, or Allison... Why don't you tell us about the book that you're writing, because we really want to uh, promote it, amplify it, and encourage our audience to pre-order it.
1: Well, thank you for that uh, <laughs> opportunity. The book is called Sex Matters. <laughs> and um, But it's how male-centric medicine is jeopardizing woman's health and what women can do about it. So I think a lot of times um, women are sharing their experiences that may have been negative in the health world or um, either um, upset uh, medications or misdiagnosed. Um, And so what I would like to do with this book is to actually bring people along to understand why that may have occurred, but then also to empower women of what they can do um, in certain situations
0: audience thank you for taking the time to listen to sex matters and the importance of this this topic uh, we'll include everything in the show notes as well as uh, TED Talks and how to pre-order the book uh, until next time Allison Tracy thank you so much for joining me thank you for having us yeah thanks this yeah. is great thank you bye-bye